0: Hello, everyone. Elliot here. If you're new, welcome to Demi Dudes. I am a full time college student, and my co host Noah works full time. So, our one rule for this podcast is no editing. This means that you will get to listen to the entirety of our conversations, and we will get to move on and continue doing our own work to make the world a better place. This episode, titled Creation Care and the Case for Christian Environmentalism, is probably our most coherent episode to date. In it, Noah and I explore what the creation mandate and the broader biblical narrative mean for how believers should treat creation. Hopefully, we will also be able to release a bonus episode covering our own experiences trying to navigate this world in an environmentally conscientious way (laughs) and give suggestions for ways that others can make an impact. We hope you can use this space to relax and find solidarity with us two amateur theologian Demi Boys. Without further ado, here's the episode.
1: Well, hello, friends and loved ones and fans of the podcast. Um, I don't know if we're like to a point where we can even like use plural to refer to our fan fans. I don't know. Like, (laughs) it is, but it's fine. Hello, everybody. We're here, we're queer, and we're ready for another episode. I'm Noah Ackerman. My pronouns are he, they.
0: I'm Elliot, and my pronouns are they, he.
1: Yeah. So, well, I'm actually, I'll let Elliot talk about what our what our little theme is today. Our little theme. It's a big theme. I don't know why I said it like it's that. It's a
0: really big theme, Noah, and we're probably going to have to return to it again at some point. Yes. So, this is just... A little taste of our thoughts on this topic. Um, So a while back, Noah and I got on Zoom and we just like kind of ranted about things that we're passionate about. And I took notes. Um, And so I was like, hey, Noah, uh, what topic will we discuss today? And um, the note that we are going to be jumping off of Um, is the note of kind of like, our perspective on the earth. Um, So specifically kind of looking and starting at like, this idea of subduing the earth and the creation mandate, um, which we can explain in a second. Um, And then like this idea of using versus caring. Um, and then another big word that got pulled into this idea was ecofeminist theory um, slash ecclesiology, which Noah seems very excited about. So oh, yeah. we will get into that. Yeah. Noah, would you like to start us off?
1: I can. This is really, this is Elliot's area. Like this is something that, that they're very passionate about. And so that's why, I don't know. That's why I picked it. It's because I wanted to have this conversation. I wanted to have this conversation with you for a long time because we've talked about it like on the surface a little bit in the past before, but we haven't gotten really deep. And I know that, that I have a lot to learn from you on this. So I am
0: definitely, um, an imperfect environmentalist. I care very much about doing what I can and, Sometimes I am not, well, most of the time I'm not doing a perfect job of it, but I believe that if everyone makes a little bit of an effort, um, we can, as humanity, start to get better at caring for the earth.
1: Yeah absolutely and this is actually so this comes and this is the last like piece of preface that i'll say but this actually (laughs) we were just talking this comes at a really great time we've been trying to record this episode for a couple weeks and like i had conflicts that like kept coming up and like i couldn't record and then and then elliot had conflicts that were coming up and they couldn't record and so like we're. i was very sick last
0: week i'm kind of sick this week so but we're just gonna go for it
1: but it's it time. worked out though because now he's enrolled in a course that's, I mean, it's like a, well, how would you describe it?
0: <laughs> um, so the course is an honors humanities course called "Who Is Our Neighbor," um, and so it is an entire semester dedicated to answering the question um, that happens oh with the parable of the Good Samaritan am i correct in that memory um where jesus tells the parable um or maybe i don't know it's at the point where jesus tells the crowd around him that we're to love our neighbors as ourselves and then um i think it's someone in the crowd asks well who is my neighbor and so this course kind of comes out of that question because Jesus doesn't answer that question directly Um, and so this course is all about like who is our neighbor what is our responsibility as Christians and as people to like care for um, and so a lot of the course is about caring for the earth um, and we're looking specifically right now about at ag- agricultural practices um, but we're also going to be looking at um, people's relationship to an- to the animals um, and also to other people so mm-hmm. yeah I'm very excited it's been great so far that's awesome
1: and then like and the same- you yeah. yeah it's like a crazy little coincidence because Since we've been delayed, my one of the churches that I attend, um, St. Paul's United Methodist Church in Helena, Montana, has been doing a sermon series actually on creation care and caring for the earth and our relationship to the world that God has given us to live in. Um, And so it's really, it's actually really interesting because neither of the, like you weren't in that course or that wasn't like those conversations weren't happening in that academic setting, when we were originally going to record. And the sermon series had not started when we were originally going to record, but now serendipitously, or supernaturally rather, maybe, um, all of those things came together. So now we're like immersed in these conversations and we're like all the more ready to have this conversation on the podcast, which is pretty exciting. So yeah. Absolutely.
0: Um, So I did mention a couple, terms at the beginning that are kind of like buzzwords I feel like in the Christian community so for a lot of people this might be review Um, but I also want to make sure that we never get bogged down in big words um, or make our podcast inaccessible for people who are just trying to like learn these things um, or get a different perspective so um can we go to Genesis for a hot minute um to talk about the idea of subduing the earth and um specifically to um review what is the creation mandate.
1: Absolutely. I'm pulling out my Bible. This is the exact section of the Bible that we were in this week in church. I have the bulletins with me, so I may be referring back to them. Oh, my bad. We were in that. We were there last week. Okay.
0: Okay. Would you like to read, or shall I?
1: Um, Are we looking at Genesis chapter one?
0: Genesis chapter one, verses, well, verse twenty-eight. I have in front of me the new international version
1: um and i have in front of me the nrsb
0: <laughs> <laughs> why don't we read both
1: okay <laughs> um yeah i'm being really episcopalian today so <laughs> got the NRSV over here um uh so starting at verse 28 and going through to, like to the end of the passage and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning on the sixth day. Here ends the reading.
0: God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the ground, everything that has breath, all the birds in the sky, all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath, of life in it I give every green plant for food and it was so and God saw all that he had made and it was very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day yeah so uh specifically verse 28 is usually cited and given the title the creation mandate um which is to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Okay. So um I guess we can talk a little bit about maybe maybe we can start with things we've heard about this and then move into kind
1: of our own thoughts.
0: How does that sound?
1: That sounds perfect. Yeah. Do you want to lead into that?
0: Uh sure. Um, so a little bit of background I probably mentioned this in the first episode where we kind of introduced ourselves but I um, attended a private Christian high school um, where our Bible teacher was a very strong and passionate creationist Um, and I don't necessarily think that's all bad um, although I don't Necessarily know where I stand on all those issues, but um, he did stress a lot of this creation mandate on the like first page of all of our science textbooks. It talked about this um, multiplying and subduing the earth, um, and so I guess that's a that's very two part, mm-hmm. um, and so. I guess this is something I'll just throw out there and we can come back to it if we want. But um, I know in my own life, when people have tried to attack um, my identity as being gay, um, a lot of people are like, oh, well, God commanded us to like multiply over the earth. So like, if you're in a relationship that doesn't have the possibility for procreation, then it's obviously wrong. Um, and to that i would point out (laughs) um that there were two people on the earth when god issued this command um, and procreation was necessary for any human life to continue to exist and currently there are over seven billion people on the earth and in a lot of places, there's a lot of overpopulation um, and there's a lot of orphaned children and suffering people everywhere. And so I don't know that procreation, well, we can't like all cease to procreate, but I don't think that is as relevant as a command as some other places um, and commands of God are in the Bible. So that's the first part Um be fruitful to multiply In the second part to subdue the earth um this has been talked about in a lot of different ways from like researching like learning about the earth to like ruling and um this word like dominion um like this kind of an iron fist sort of a image um i've heard a lot of people talk about like we're the rulers of the earth and we need to make sure that it's under our control. Um, a lot of like harsh, um, can I say masculine (laughs) imagery about, um, ruling the earth and yeah, sometimes I hear it talked about as care. Um, like I'm reading this book, I was just telling Noah about, and I don't, to be fair, know a ton about the authors. So, um, from the limited knowledge that I have. Uh, This book that I'm reading right now is called Creation Care, A Biblical Theology for Life. And it's um, by Douglas Moo and Jonathan Moo. And um, they talk a lot more about like a gentle care and um, kind of like this like partnership analogy rather than like a iron fist authoritarian view. Um, So I'm curious to hear what sorts of things you've heard about this creation mandate or what kind of conversations have sprung up in your life around it.
1: Well, more recently, I have been in more progressive circles um, within Christianity. So a lot of the conversations have definitely aired on the side of we are to care for the earth. We are to be responsible for Well, A, we're supposed to be responsible for damage that we have caused to the earth. We're Mm. supposed to be better stewards of the earth, and we're supposed to be repentant in regards to our relationship that we've had with the earth. In the past, it's really interesting because in my church, something that comes up quite frequently is the relationship that Native American people have with the earth and how that contrasts the sort of dominionistic, um, conquest-driven relationship with the earth that a lot of Westerners, Europeans, colonizers have with the earth. And that's particularly germane here in Montana because in Montana, we actually have eight federally recognized Indian nations and then um, seven seven reservations. So we are surrounded by a lot of communities of people who um, really do a great job of modeling a better relationship with the Earth. And so we have a lot to learn from that. So that's something that's really interesting that's come up a lot and I think is very important to discuss. I think something else that's interesting, though, in regards to this like this wording here about, uh, about having exercising dominion or having dominion over the Earth, is i pulled out the blue letter bible app because i was a ministry major so of course i use that all the time i really do like it's like whenever i read the bible it's just like right there it's ready to be pulled out i always want to know the context i always want to know what the words mean um so
0: you know you're a ministry major when the pastor is like pull out you version and you're like actually dave or whoever i do i'll do you one better i'm pulling (laughs) a blue letter bible
1: (laughs) yes exactly exactly so i love the interlinear stuff that you can do with the blue letter bible app shameless plug this isn't sponsored this is just you can just go in here and you can tap on a word and you can find out what it was and what the original hebrew word is and you can look up other uses so there's something
0: however if Blue Letter Bible is listening to this, we will accept a sponsorship. We will
1: accept sponsorship, commissions, um, yeah, free staking. <laughs> um, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, <laughs> this word dominion sort of comes from the word um, rada. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, correctly, but it's it's quite possible that I'm not, so I don't know. But there are, let's see, it occurs 27 times in 25 verses throughout the Hebrew Bible. And something that I noticed frequently is that following the word or preceding the word, which is usually translated as like to rule or to have dominion over, it's it's surrounded by like this sort of charge not to do so in a manner that is harsh. And I thought that was interesting because I think you, Elliot, specifically used the word harsh to describe the way that some people translate it. But um, not specifically in regards to creation, but Leviticus chapter 25, verse 43, um, the Lord says, and I don't know the context of this. We'll look this up later. If you're listening, you can look it up now, find the context. But the Lord says, you are not to rule over them harshly, but fear your God. And then um, and later on in the same chapter, the Lord says, a resident alien is not to rule over someone harshly. Um, yeah, it's. I don't know. It's just very interesting how like it seems like time and time again, I'm noticing that like. There's this mandate not to rule over things harshly, that ruling over isn't something that's done in an abrasive manner, but it seems to be something that the Lord wants us to do Um, in a way that's more reserved, maybe, in a way that's more peaceable, if that makes sense. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I don't know. That wasn't a super deep thought, I feel like, because I'm not an expert on this, but that was just something I noticed as I was looking through these that, that seemed really interesting um yeah any thoughts
0: yeah so um I've pulled out the book I referenced earlier um the creation care book um and I so in Genesis 2 verse 15 um which is right after this creation mandate um it says that the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and care of it. And so um, those, the work it and care of it, I'm going to come back to in a second. But just briefly, um, traditionally, and I think it would be hard for you to find a pastor, I would say in any denomination, who would disagree with this. Um, But traditionally, the idea of the garden is that Um, This is a place The Garden of Eden is a place That existed before sin and death Entered the world and creation Um, And so a lot of people will use The Garden as kind of a reference For how life should be um, Because This is The only picture we have um, I guess not the only picture we have The only historical picture we have Of a world um, Without sin and um that is in perfect relationship with god and so um we see god telling adam to care for the garden and to work the garden and um the authors of this book um the creation care uh talk about those two words which are abad and shamar um god says to abad and shamar the garden and um they do a little word study on these two words. Um, And the word abad is usually used in the context of a garden. Um, Makes sense. (laughs) Um, To till or to cultivate. Um, And so, like, that's very involved. And um, I don't know. That's good cultivating is not I don't know if you've ever grown a garden I tried very hard to grow the Gethsemane garden last year um, but just because of my job and a lot of other health issues that I was working through I wasn't great at it Um, but I do know that caring for a garden is very gentle work um, in general like obviously there's times when you're tilling and you're moving things all around and it doesn't seem like like you seem kind of reckless maybe um but you're constantly like picking out stones or when you're weeding you're being careful not to like uproot the plants that you're trying to like cultivate and keep well and whatever and so that's very like gentle language um in my um the way i think about it and then um this idea of shamar um is this word like keep um so like keeping watch over or guarding or preserving um protecting um and so this is like um i I think of like the role of a parent with a child like to um protect your child like is a very caring thing and um isn't doesn't have to be harsh necessarily um hopefully like a loving parent will come along and be gentle with their child teaching them and um having the best in mind for them and not um exploiting their children i guess um i might be putting a little bit too much into that but then there's also um this combination of words appears in the book of Numbers that describes the service of the priests in the tabernacle as this like caring and um, cultivating work so yeah so that's, that's a little bit a little more rich thoughts about this idea of caring and being gentle Um, Another idea that I really liked of theirs um, was this idea that um, though God puts Adam in charge of caring for the earth, the earth doesn't belong to Adam. Like the earth ultimately belongs to God and is sustained by God. And Adam is kind of like a a right hand and, and Adam representing humanity is kind of like a right hand man of God. Um, he's like appointed to do the work of God on earth. And we see that with Israel too. Um, God is Israel's king and he puts in place the laws that Israel is to follow.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's wonderful. I we I, We talk a lot about this idea of like earth being our mother. It appears frequently. I feel like in contemporary discourse, um, and I think that idea comes from, I think, ancient theological, ancient theological thought um, from different religions, not necessarily just Christianity, I hear, but I hear a lot of times in church, earth right, being referred to as our mother. But I, I was a little bit ago, I, um, I want to say it was back in like October, not entirely sure, but I was at an art museum here in Helena, the Holter Art Museum, and they were having a documentary showing there was a documentary that was about bears in Yellowstone and how they were on the brink of extinction. And we're sitting in the middle of this gallery where there are all of these different installations and pieces that have to do with the care of the earth. And there was this one in particular that was really striking. And in a bit after I'm finished saying that I'm going to look it up so that I can say the name of the artist and credit them. But this artist sort of reinterpreted this metaphor of like the earth being our mother and said, what if, what if the earth is, what if we should be thinking of the earth more as like our child? What if we are, what if the roles are reversed? What if instead of just constantly like taking from the earth and consuming its resources and acting as if its job is to care for us, what if we flip that on its head? And so they depicted the earth as a child in a womb. And they had like cracks going through it. And like, I don't know, it was just very, it was a very striking image. Like it was really crazy. And this was towards the end of summer. We just had a really bad fire season in Montana this past summer. And for those of you who don't live in states where there are wildfires, I'm brand new to this too. So like, but when... When states have wildfires, essentially the the atmosphere just fills with smoke. And so Montana's the first place I've ever lived where during a certain season of the year, when you check the weather, you get the temperature, the chance of precipitation and the AQI, the air quality index, because it'll tell you like what the particle density is that day. And it will tell you what the danger level to your health is. And there were like weeks this summer where we were just like in the red, you know, like it was dangerous to like actually breathe the air because the world like surrounding us was burning. And, you know, our, our oxygen was being replaced with smoke, essentially, it was really interesting. And so, I don't know, after experiencing that, and this was a particularly bad fire season, it's been getting worse and worse because of because of climate change. So it was particularly striking to see that display after going through that. But yeah, I think there is this idea of like the earth is something that we have to tend to and we don't really treat it like that as nearly as much as we should. And I think beyond though, this metaphor of it being something that we care for being a child or even being a mother because we should care for our parents too. Beyond that, I love using the metaphor of the earth as almost like um, a house, or even like I've described it as a temple Um, as well. I wrote an essay recently. This is not like this idea comes straight out of the work of Kanzo Uchimura, um, a Japanese theologian from the non-church movement. I sort of adapted like his description of humanity's relation to the earth. But I talked about moving away from sectarianism and moving away from looking at God's presence as something that resides in, in just in like churches and seeing it as something that resides in the earth as a whole for the sake of humanity as a whole. And so, what I wrote is I, I strive to regard humanity as a whole. I see the earth as her cathedral, the mountains as her chancels, the seas as her baptistries. And each parish building is a tabernacle, a place of respite for humanity. And so, I went on to kind of say that, like, I think the purpose of churches then should not be to be a place where people come to experience God, but where people should be equipped to leave and experience God. And I think, I think what we've what's happened is we've gotten away from looking at the earth as the venue for the divine. Um, and for miracles to happen and all of those things like the earth really is miraculous and I feel like we don't treat it as sacred it's sacred like it's sacred and so I don't know those are just some thoughts I will I'm going to look up that artist and get back to you on that <laughs> but
0: yeah um, oh, there are so many good things in there um, yeah so I I the more that I am studying um the scriptures and um our relation to the earth and just kind of human life relationship to the earth in the Bible um and even just like looking around um I've really come to see the earth as a victim um to kind of at the, at the mercy of humanity, um, in a similar way that, like, um, if a parent is, like, not caring for their child well, or, like, abusing their child, like, that child's not gonna thrive, um, and is gonna have a lot of problems, and, um, like if I don't feed my rabbit (laughs) she can't really feed herself Um, and she like can provide companionship and love and and everything to me like she has stuff to offer me but my relationship with my pet is she's definitely dependent on me and I think thinking about greater creation in that way um, with all of the animals and plants like my plants (laughs) won't survive if I don't water them Um, and obviously this isn't like our duty entirely like God provides water for the plants and food for the animals like God talks about that Um, and yet he's asked us to come alongside him in this work and so it is also our responsibility to care for Um, the earth especially in the areas that we're the ones directly harming the earth um i want to bring up this idea of um groaning and mourning um that is in a lot of the bible um the book that i have referenced uh on page 66 says all of creation cries out against evil and injustice groaning under the weight of human sin Um, and then later on page 105 it says that there's intimate connection between faithfulness to god the establishment of justice and the health of the land um so just a few um verses i can throw into the mix as we're thinking about this um if you go to isaiah 24 4 um it says the earth dries up and withers um and in some translations instead of dries up it says mourns um so the earth mourns and withers the world languishes and withers the heavens languish with the earth the earth is defiled by its people who have disobeyed the laws and so there's this causality between um human disobedience um and like irresponsibility and um the earth's like suffering as a direct result of that um then later in jeremiah um, 4 28 god is talking um and he says that the earth will mourn and the heavens above grow dark because i have spoken and will not resent um or relent and so he, there's this imagery of the earth mourning. Um, and then there's a bigger passage in Romans that I'm going to read, and then I'm going to be done for a minute um, and let Noah jump in. <laughs> um, but um, I would love to read this whole chapter, but I will, I will keep it short. If you have time, I recommend Romans chapter 8. It's beautiful. Um, it's talking about the spirit that sets us free from the law um, that's been given to us by Jesus, and then he talks about um, us being children of God, um, not being slaves, and being adopted by God, and like just beautiful, beautiful imagery and descriptions of the work of Jesus. Um, but then in verse 18 or verse 19 uh, through 23 says for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of god to be revealed for the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of god we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Um, Yeah, so (laughs) I'm gonna stop there.
1: That's so, wow. I was just sitting here and I was like, oh my goodness, that's so deep. That's so good. I, <sighs> wow. like I just need to sit with that for a sec. That's, <sighs> I think when you, you brought up that groaning and I was like, well, wait a minute, it's not lit yet. I was like, but, um, <laughs> I think that's something that we, I don't know, I, it just, first off, the first thought I had, I'm still collecting my thoughts, but the first thought I had was how that thing of childbirth, like that, that metaphor, like, you know, those labor pains that creation is experiencing reminded me actually of this piece of artwork that I was referencing. And I can say that I did find it and I can give you the title and the artist. It is Mirror Reflection by Lillian Nelson, who is um, uh, an artist from Montana, native of Montana. Um, uh, She writes, mirror reflection, spotlights deforestation and infecting cancer, wiping out habitats. I mapped out all of these empty areas to show the missing links and the destroyed riches of the earth. And if you look up the piece of art, I feel like that will make a little bit more sense Uh, she describes it that way. And she goes on to say we refer to the earth as mother, but I've always had a negative reaction to this. While we do tend to treat the earth as a mother, reap food and resources from her incessantly, give verbal, verbal reference, but be disrespectful in action, fight her if she doesn't do as we want. But I don't think of the earth as mother, but as something we should be caring for. It will only thrive if we are caretakers, parents the earth and its inhabitants are our responsibility um i just thought that was so cool you said that thing about childbirth and i you know like i said like this the depiction this piece of artwork is literally like it's a baby in a womb like the earth is like i don't know how to describe it but like it's it is literally that like it, it is a wonderful depiction of that exact passage of scripture. I feel like, and I, I wonder now if it was inspired by that. She doesn't reference it here, but that's so, that's so interesting. I feel like, I feel like there is something to be made note of here, and this was something actually that my the that um, head pastor of my church, who spoke, who preached this previous Sunday, brought up in her sermon, Pastor Margaret Gilligan. Um, she said. She said, so often we wait for deliverance to come to us. We wait for God to answer our prayers without participating as fully as we are able in the answering of those prayers. We so often have the potential to be part of the answer to the prayers, part of the deliverance. And so I think it's easy. I hear a lot of people read passages like that and go, the responsibility isn't on me because I'm just waiting along with creation for deliverance. And I think a different way that we can look at that is that we can participate with creation and deliverance. If that makes sense. Um, yeah, it's our job to do that. We, this is, a, this is an instance where we have dominion. We're not just a passive character where we have to like wait for that to come. Um, something else that came to mind on that note was, I have it pulled up, um, Father's world by Gungor. Um, It's obviously like a super old hymn. I feel like a lot of people will probably be familiar with it. Um, either way, look up the Gunger version of it. So they use the classical stanzas and then add, they add a stanza at the end that they have written. So following the stanza that says, ends with the Lord is King, let the heavens ring, God reigns, let the earth be glad. They follow that up with this, This is my father's world, may we tend her gentle light. Her seas are filled with the oil we've spilled, her skies growing warm in their blight. This is our father's world, he has fashioned us a home. Unless our crib becomes our grave, the world, this world, is not our own. And I remember the first time I heard it, I got chills, not just because of the content, but because I was like, wow, someone said something really radical that we're not used to hearing people say in <laughs> liturgical material. Um, but I think it's so important for us to talk about this. It's so important for us to find space in, in our practice to mourn these things, to lament these things, and to let that drive us to action because that's what, that's what the Lord is, I feel like is calling us to in these passages that you read too, is to participate in mourning the destruction of the earth. That's something that, like, we are—we're supposed to groan along with creation. We're supposed to respond to that groaning as well. Um, so yeah, those are just some thoughts that I had. I didn't—I definitely didn't succeed in bringing that home, but those are just like some additional thoughts. Can you hear my washing machine in the background?
0: Sorry, I took a second there. Um, You mentioned your piece of artwork, which I did look up. Um, I just typed in the title, the mirror reflection, and um, the artist's name that you mentioned earlier. Um, And it's so beautiful. Um, And it actually reminded me of an artwork that um, my professor, Dr. Stassen, showed us. Earlier in this week, I cannot figure out what it's called. Um, but if I do figure that out before we publish this, I'll make sure to put it in the show notes. Um, but at least the artist's name is Erica Grimm. And um, I can try to put the Vimeo link in the description because that's where I'm finding this. Because um, it's part of a bigger documentary. Um, but she created. A bunch of pieces in this gallery um of the earth depicted as a human and in a lot of the depictions like in pain um i think it's of an adult human so it's kind of like the other side of that um but i think that um dehumanization isn't really the proper word because the earth isn't human and I think humanizing the earth um is a very worthwhile practice um that we can do um as we try to think about it and think about like our responsibility um because when we objectify when we objectify anything um bad things follow um, I just wrote a 12-page paper <laughs> on capitalism, um, and how it has its origins, um, at least modern American capitalism has its origins, and a lot of its playbook stolen directly from American slavery. Um, and I'm just leafing through this, because there's so much here, um. But like humanity isn't included in creation care and earth care because humans are part of God's creation. Um, And I don't know. I I would advise you if you haven't to look up um, ties with um, American capitalism and slavery. um, Some good authors that you can look at uh, are Edward Baptist, Sven Beckert, um, Seth Rockman, Caitlin Rosenthal, um, are just a couple that I really got to dig into um, and read some of their works. Um, And then as well, I just recently read an article by uh, Gabriel Mack, who is a journalist who spent some time in a warehouse work uh, like an online retail warehouse and just like through all of that study um i got to see how really the problem isn't it's not it's not a small problem um this problem of like thinking of the world and and obviously we have to start on the individual level um because you don't change a whole culture like quickly like it it happens when people start talking about it um and when individual minds start thinking and being critical (laughs) um and so discussions like these are still very important but the problem isn't just with me and you Noah um like the problem is so systemic and is so like ingrained into how we think about everything as um a means to the end of like profitability um like we look at our time as time is money you know and so even our own lives are like reduced to like how can this profit me the most and that's how we look at the world a lot of times and the earth and creation is like how can we make this profit us the most how can we grow economic wealth and so um and and that like goes all the way back to the cotton industry and how People were trying to figure out, like, how can we make machines to make this process more profitable? And then when machines were super advanced, how can we make people more profitable? Um, how can we make our workers more profitable? Like our whole system of wage labor today, like people are being paid and people have technically have the opportunity to quit. But there's a lot of people who like their choices, like unemployment or being exploited to work as hard as they can on the hour um we do not have enough time (laughs) to go into that today um but i just wanted to preface um i was just going to read a little bit of the end of this paper um i can just read my last paragraph i guess so um at the conclusion of this paper which outlines a bunch of history and um, tries to really make sense of how. Um, and also, if anyone wants to read this, let me know, because I don't really I haven't really published anything, but I know Noah could <laughs> help me out with that. Um, so at the end of this paper about capitalism, I wrote capitalism has brought many good goods into the world. It has increased. The gross domestic product of countries in which it is allowed to thrive, it creates convenience and access to goods and often it even creates more jobs. However, we've also seen how when under regulated it quickly leads to the dehumanization and commodification of laborers if and and the earth, I'm going to add in that little snippet. If capitalism's roots in slavery are not acknowledged and people are not critical of its promises, it will continue to ravage society for profit and leave bodies in its wake. More wealth does not always lead to well-being, and critique and discourse about what we want to value as a society are the first steps out of this questionable beast we've bred on the back of American slavery. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Just like this idea that economic prosperity is the the greatest good um, and not questioning that idea I think helps to justify so much of the exploitation of people and of the earth that we see today because things like conservation and sustainability aren't usually profitable they're not profitable um it takes energy and resources to conserve the earth and to like plastic recycling isn't profitable and that's not the biggest problem um but it is a problem (laughs) and and it's a reason why sustainability has become so far out of reach um just because of what we value um and so we trying to bring it bring it back to, to scripture um we see that like god doesn't well i mean we see in the new testament all over the place that god doesn't seem to value wealth um in fact he kind of <laughs> mocks people at some points for um valuing wealth so much um and then, also, I wanted to point out, um, i going to go quickly to another page. Um, this is going to be on page 92 of Creation Care, if anyone cares. <laughs> but he talks about, oh no, 90, 94, sorry. Um, the, the authors of this book talk about uh, sustainability practices laid out in the early laws of the Israelite people, um, specifically two sustainability laws. Um, the first one um, is in Deuteronomy 22 6 through 7, um, which prohibits the taking of a mother along with her young when raiding a bird's nest for food. And so this idea is like you can take the children like the eggs or whatever and the mother bird will then make more reproduce or you can take the mother and then the baby birds will grow up and reproduce sort of an idea of like don't take both like (laughs) don't drive populations to extinction um so god like lays that out and says hey this is one way you can take care of the earth and then another one um in Deuteronomy twenty nineteen, 19 uh God says that when laying siege to a city the Israelites are not to cut down the city's trees um and specifically like they can cut down trees to use but not just to burn or just to like contribute to the siege or like because this idea that like they're not warring against the Earth. They're warring against these other people, and they don't want to leave the Earth unsuitable for life. Uh-huh.
1: They're not to yeah. rule harshly. I don't know. No. <laughs> You're dying earlier, yeah, yeah. No, that's so good. I, I earlier you were talking about like this idea of like personifying the Earth. Um, and I think, you know, we see that all throughout scripture, right? The earth cries out, creation cries out, um, all creation praises the Lord, all of that stuff, you know, and I think there's something really significant about that. I feel like that those, those literary devices are used to sort of build a solidarity between us and the earth. we're supposed to have grace for the earth and to see the earth as something that we can really connect with on an emotional level. I feel like from those passages, and I think that's beautiful. And I think I've never noticed any of those like thoughtful things that you mentioned before, like in scripture, you know, like about like not burning the trees or like, you know, leaving leaving the parents so that they can make more offspring when raiding like an animal's home. I just think that's so, I don't know. That says a lot. I feel like that really does say a lot. That's really remarkable. I think what you were saying about capitalism too, I saw something today that said, one, essentially it was like, this is not the exact wording. this is a paraphrase, but it was essentially like one man's profit is another person's unpaid wages. And it was somewhere on Instagram. <laughs> so I don't know where it was, but it was like a good thought. Um, it very well may have been on Clitritrich. So I don't know if anyone's familiar with that, but if you're not, check it out. It is an American girl's Stan account. It's pretty spectacular. It's a great meme page. But um, every now and then there is some thought-provoking things on there as well, and that was one of those one of those things. I think we, yeah, we see the Earth as something that we can profit off, of. and I think that's so that's so not only unbiblical I think it's antithetical to biblical ideals I think it's it's remarkably selfish for us to try to profit off of something that is a gift from God to try to I don't know I just think there's a lot there's a lot yeah
0: um earlier you mentioned learning from uh Native American peoples Hmm. and um when reading this book uh they discuss uh sacrifice the provision of sacrifice in the old testament and um sacrifice is the whole thing we could do a whole podcast episode on sacrifice i
1: would be down actually so
0: i'm not gonna try to cover that right now um but one interesting thing in levitical law is that after um, so during sacrifice, like the blood is never to be consumed because um, the blood of animals is considered like their life life blood, like their yes. um, life. And so, um in law, it's to be poured out and covered with earth. And so it's kind of like this burial um in this respectful burial of the animal's life, even though the like flesh of the animal gets consumed in the practice of sacrifice and so um that just struck me as like such a caring and respectful practice um that kind of reminds me of that respectful relationship that we get to see modeled by a lot of native peoples um as like not trying to exploit the earth but trying to like live with it in harmony Um, And then when you do have to take an animal's, like, life, like, further respecting it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think we mentioned ecofeminism earlier, and then we didn't really touch on it, but I think this is is what draws it all together. Ecofeminism is sort of, it's where I was, it's in that realm of thinking that I was first exposed to the notion that... The way that we treat the earth is is really inextricably linked to the way that we treat others, um, other humans. And I think that's such, I don't know, I think that's such an important point. I feel like a lot of like justice movements nowadays are very intersectional, I feel like I've talked about that before. Even just this morning, as I was getting ready for the day, I was listening to um, the homily that was given by... Um, Yolanda Renee King at Washington National Cathedral at a memorial service for the life of Martin Luther King um, Jr., who is her great grandfather. She's 13 years old and she's like a major activist, and she gave the sermon because um, the last sermon that Dr. King ever gave was actually at Washington National Cathedral. So it was really it was really beautiful, but some, I mean, she talked about environmentalism and she just sort of put it right alongside racial justice you know and i i just think that's something that like i i was never taught to make that connection growing up but i think it's really beautiful when you think about it we're all we're all dust you know and to dust we shall return and so the way that we treat the earth the way that we treat our home the way that we treat the home of our neighbors and the home of our children um really says a lot about like the content of our own souls and hearts and all of that. And I think that's really that's just been like a really important perspective for me as well. So like to bring it all home and I'll let you see some closing remarks. I'm getting ready to head out to work at the brewery tonight. So that's really exciting. <laughs> but but my closing remark is um is simply this. We didn't talk that much about like actual like steps that you can take, but that's something that you can very easily find out by doing a little bit of research. Essentially, we have made the case for the morality and the ethics of taking care of the earth, why it's important. So now go out to Google and find ways, research, go to the library, talk to others, figure out ways that you can um, practice a more sustainable lifestyle, one that is more gracious to the earth. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What a wonderful benediction, Noah. Go out onto into Google.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I never thought that would come out of my mouth, but there it was.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's beautiful. I hope yeah, like Noah said that we have made a biblical case for um caring about sustainability and environmentalism. And there are so many resources out there. Um, yeah, I I don't want to get into the nitty gritty because there is Google. And um, if you want, we could also make an episode sometime, maybe like a little bonus episode, because I don't think it would be that long, but just about the ways that we personally are working to try to be better at being better consumers um, and better environmentally conscious of, like, the small impacts that we have. Um, And yeah, and obviously, things need to change in our hearts and in our minds um, as a society and on governmental levels before anything really takes a bunch of momentum or speed or whatever. But um, yeah, it starts with us. And, um, yeah, that's what God tells us to do. And that's our responsibility. Yeah.
1: Well, to close, if we're ready for that, obviously Elliot, you can add things in the episode notes too. (laughs) (laughs) Because there's things where you're like, hmm. But I, there's this neat little prayer that, um, we've been, doing every single Sunday during this sermon series. Usually what um, this church does, St. Paul's United Methodist Church, where I've been participating in worship, we usually do a prayer that goes with a sermon series. So every single week we'll say the same prayer for a sermon series. And so this one is adapted from Seven Prayers for Lenten and Reflection and Fleshed. And yeah, we read it as a congregation before every single sermon. We, we read this and then we do the Lord's Prayer and then we hear scripture and then we do the sermon. So I'm just gonna read it really quick. It's like, let's this off. Divine Creator, when you first stirred the waters and breathed into the soil of the earth, all life was able to flourish, all part of the family of God. But as evil and greed permeated the hearts of humanity, We began to see the land as little more than fields of profit. We have made ourselves strangers to our own home, forgetting that our place is among the whole of things. Renew us, O God, to right relationship with the earth. May we be the ones who mend what has been destroyed, that life's abundance may be restored upon the earth and all creatures and creations may rest in your care. Amen. in. well it's been a pleasure as always and we can obviously talk about this another time when you know i have like a little bit more space in my schedule before i have to go make pizzas (laughs) for trivia so yeah all right
0: well go in peace noah and everyone else i hope you have a wonderful and relaxing day interacting with creation and with our fellow human beings
1: and likewise Elliot